Bibles to a book that you might have thought that I had forgotten that we had started. I want you to go back to Jonah. Yeah. You know, I didn't forget Christmas just kind of took precedent, but, but I thought that it was a great day in the Lord to be able to go back to Jonah in chapter 3 and look at verses 1 through 5. Now, up until this point, we have asked the question, was the story of Jonah a whale of a tale, or was it a tale of a whale? Well, the question is answered by the fact that just as we sang that song, it is the true story. And therefore, it is a story worth looking into. It's a story worth telling again and again. So many uh, tend to uh, take chapters 1 and 2 and talk about Jonah's rebellion and then his, his great plight in the fish and then kind of end it there. But we cannot because the greatest part of the story is picked up in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we begin to see God's hand of grace again. And in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we're introduced to the fact that we, as Christians, serve a God of second chances. Alright? So again, I'm going to ask you, would Jonah chapter 3, I want to read verses 1 through 5, so if you would, let's stand as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and here's what it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed and God, and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. Father, we thank you this morning, as we enter into a new year, Lord, we're reminded that the old year is gone, and, and, and as Paul said, we, we don't hold on to the past, but we look forward to the future. And so, Lord, what a great opportunity for us to, to meet up with Jonah today, in this wonderful story of God giving us second chances. And Lord, we're reminded that as we celebrate a new year, we're reminded that our mercies of God are fresh and anew every day. And so, Father, as we look to the God of second chances, Lord, perhaps would you speak unto our hearts and remind us that God is willing to give us Maybe there are some of us that think that we have, we have failed so miserably, we have done so wrongly, we have quit too early that God cannot and will not, but yet, Lord, we see today that we serve a God of second, third, fourth, and more chances. Amen. So, Father, speak unto our hearts today. Move me out of the way. Hide me behind the cross. Let it be your word that is proclaimed today. For it's in Jesus' name. God bless you, you may be seated this morning. I don't know how many of you have ever noticed how many times the Lord called or came the second time throughout Scripture. Uh, sometimes it's brought stern warning, 
while other times it extended profound grace and abundant blessing. But in every case, it implied the Lord was not through yet. Now, it means that perhaps the work that he wanted to do was not through. Perhaps it meant that with you he was not through. But he himself is not through with us in what he wants us to do. So today, if you've given up, if you've sat on the sideline, if you have thought that God has, has shelved you, let me tell you, get it right with God and then get back on it because God is a God of second chances. In each of our lives, there have been moments when our spiritual obituary has been written. And on our tombstone, it has been engraved, done, done, done. Well, let me tell you, don't believe. The only one who has inscribed that upon our tombstone is either ourselves, because we've listened to the lies of Satan, or Satan himself, who is trying to deceive us into thinking that God cannot use us anymore. But I'm telling you that God is a God of second chances. The world may have given up on us. Our friends may have given up on us. But God has not. Where you do not, uh, or where you uh, need to deeply humble and, and, and call upon the Lord is when we are seeking the God of second chances. Rather we are a Jonah in the belly of a great fish, or we're like Elijah sulking in discouragement beneath the juniper tree, or a semi-blind man who needs Jesus to touch our eyes once again. So that we can see clearly. When the Lord moves the second time in our lives, flowers blossom in desert places. In His sovereign compassion for us, the Lord puts lilies in our valleys, healing salt in our tears, and sunshine above the rain clouds. Because He is the God of second chances. Today, in your life, the heavens may seem closed. And the heat without rain has scorched your very soul. But let me remind you that God is faithful as a God of second chances. What would you give for a second time? You know, in golf, we call that a mulligan. I've used many of them in my golf games. On a videotape, we call that rewinding. But the second time of the Lord is known as His abounding grace. Today, today's New Year's. We started a brand new year today. And I thought it was a good day to pick up where we left off in Jonah. New Year's always reminds me of a second chance. And that the old year is past and the new one has just begun. And the past is not holding us down, but the future is giving us a new direction. So today, Jonah reminds us that we're serving a God of second chances. In Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1, we see a fresh start. You see, when we look at this, we notice in Jonah chapter 3, these, these moving words that he says in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah second time. Just stop for a minute. Pause. 
I want you to reflect upon those three words. Let them sink in the second time. Is there anyone in this room that can say that they've never needed a second time? Is there anyone in this room that can say that God has never given them a second time? You see, the reality is that when we think about that, we see the abounding grace of God. Wow. What powerful words that God gives us. Now, now we know the story of Jonah. We know that, that in chapter 1, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah and said, go and preach to that great and wicked city, Nineveh. And we know that Jonah didn't. He ran the other way. And he, he tried to run away from God only to find that he couldn't outrun God. He found himself in the belly of the whale where he began to pray and seek God's face. And now we find him here again receiving the same words. The very second chance. Now, the world would probably tell us we don't re-enlist folks like Jonah. We go back to the drawing board, we send out resumes, we start over. He is done. He is done messed up. But you know, the Bible is filled with stories of men and women who received the second chance. I want to just talk about a few of them. Peter had his chance in the courtyard. Um, John Mark had his shot standing firm in the garden. Thomas missed his chance, didn't he, by shipping the upper room experience. But yet, every one of them received the second chance. The second the second time of the Lord's significant starting over. A fresh start. A new year is a fresh start. Jonah was a man chosen of the Lord to lead a miraculous revival in Nineveh. When he chose to run in the opposite direction, the ship of his life was unable to withstand the wind of God on the stormy sea. Rather, it is the wind, the waves, or the whale. The Lord never runs out of resources to get our attention. And I can just imagine for those sailors upon that ship, for three days and nights, the sailors must have recounted the amazing story how Jonah just, when we threw him overboard, did you see that big fish swallow him up? Boy, though, I know by now he's got to be toast. There's no way. I mean, he would be digested by now. I can just imagine him talking about that amazing experience and saying that, that boy has no hope, no chance. However, the Bible tells us from the depths of the darkness, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. The Lord was not here with Jonah yet. God could have chosen someone else. God could have said, you blew it, you're done. I'll get somebody else that's willing to go. But unlike Jonah, unlike Peter, unlike John Mark, we have a choice to make as well. Will we accept the, the opportunity and the, the, the gift of a second chance to do what God has called us to do? Or will we believe the tombstone that says done, done, and done? When Peter fell in the depths of the failure, when he denied the Lord, it appeared his best days were behind him. 
But in John chapter 21, we find the, the great account when Jesus sits there the second time and then even the third time asking Peter, loveth thou me? God was restoring him to a new beginning. The world may be limited in its love and its chances, but the love of the Father gives more than just a second chance. He gives us a second wind. He gives us a second responsibility. James Montgomery Boyce wrote in his commentary on Jonah this, if we were to say, go home now, Jonah, I'm glad you repented, of your disobedience, but you're no longer useful to me. We would be just and reasonable in doing so. Does God always do that? Does God stoop to use those who have rejected his commission, turned a deaf ear to his word, pursued a course of determined disobedience? Yes, yes he does. If he did not, none of us sitting in this room would be any use to God today. Thank God we serve a God of second chances. This is not defending disobedience. It's not saying it's okay to, to, to reject or to refuse to do what God's called you to do. But it is to say that we're all human and we all make mistakes and we all rebel. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have messed up. But well, I sure am glad that God takes a mess up like me and says, I have called you. So therefore, get back on track. I'm glad that we serve a God of second chances and beyond. Another author gave me a, a, a great reminder when he wrote, Honest reflections compel the believer to seek or to speak of him as the God of not just second chances, but the God of 999 chances. How many times have you been forgiven and yet given another opportunity to serve Christ? Imagine the thrill of Jonah, the prophet, as he heard the word of the Lord coming to him the second time. You got your Bibles, just do something with me. Go back to chapter 1. Look at what he says. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, What if God only spoke? What if God said, I only say it once? Either do it or I do not. What would our life look like? How useful would it be? I'm thankful that not only did God give us Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, but it gave us Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. 
be your second time. So what else does he say? The second thing that we find is that in verse 2, we find a faithful summons. Not only does he receive the word a second time, but he receives a faithful summons. It's interesting to me that this uh, is the same exact commission that Jonah received in chapter 1. God didn't change it up and say, well, Jonah, I know that you didn't quite agree with me in the beginning, that you didn't really think that it was the way that I wanted you to do so. Jonah, I've rewritten your job description.
what made Nineveh great? Well, there's a few things. First of all, it was great in history. Having been founded by Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah, made it a famous city. But it was also, it was great in size. With a circumference of the city and its suburbs being 60 miles wide. And having more than 600,000 people living there. One wall of the city had a circumference of 8 miles and boasted 1,500 towers. And you say, well, preacher, how in the world do you know that? Because the great city of Nineveh has been discovered. The very land of Iraq is a city of Nineveh. And they discovered its walls, its territory, and its towers. And it was massive. But it was also, it was great in sin. Being idolatrous, immoral, and brutal. History tells us of the brutality of the Ninevite people. This group of people were so brutal that, that history wrote about their brutality. It's an important element of God's grace. The greatness of them caused God's grace to be great upon them. Let me just remind you, if you're sitting here thinking, but my failures are great. Okay. My God's grace is greater. Greater is his grace than your sin. The good news, not only did Jonah receive a a, a, a fresh start in a, in a faithful summons, but he was reminded of the greatness of God's grace. We are still accountable to his commands, and his commands do not change to accommodate our rebellion. Jonah does not receive an exemption or an amendment because he didn't like what God asked him to do. He is called to obey the same command as before. The validity of the implications of God's word are not determined by how many people accept it or believe it. Romans chapter 3 and verse 4 reminds us that let God be true and every man be a liar. You see, the reality is that God says that I am always right.
That great city of size, that great city of history, that great city of brutality, that great city of sin, and you proclaim my message. Let me just stop there for a moment and just say to you, God's not calling you into the world with your own message. You don't have to worry about what you're going to say to him. You've already got the message. Don't change the message. You might change the methodology in which you share the message, but the message must remain the same. Man is sinful and lost. God is faithful and a Savior. The message has to stay the same. In order for the world to come to the understanding of their need for God, they've got to hear the light. Message. They've got to hear the same message. The problem with the church of today is that we've got too many messages. We talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning about the philosophies of the world and how the philosophies of the world has crept into the church so that the church is now teaching the philosophy of the world instead of the Word of God. And the world is simply wondering, what are you saying? A while ago you said this, but now you're saying that. So is it that we've got to repent, or is everybody welcome in? Does everybody get to go to heaven, or does some miss out? You see, church, God said the message has never changed. And if we're going to remain faithful to the summons in which we have been given by God to go ye there for, into all the world, we must go with the right message, his message. Don't think you've got to make up your own. Don't think you've got to take that of the worlds. They don't need to hear from the world. They need to hear from the word. And that's what Jonah is told to tell them. If you look at verse 5, it, it tells us, that, uh, um, well, verse 4, that yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. The message, judgment is come. Repentance is needed. What is the Lord saying to you about your sin? What is he asking you to do again that he already asked you to do? What is that faithful summons that he's speaking to you as we begin 2023? The third thing that I want to share with you is found in verses 4 and 5. A fruitful season. A fresh start means that we've turned the calendar page and now we're in a new year. We've got a new uh, opportunity to start afresh and anew. Just like Jonah who came out of the stinky belly of the fish, and by the way, vomited up on the shore. I don't think he went and got showered up and shaved and, and all that. I think he just headed right into the work of the Lord. So this smelly, stinky, disgusting-looking man comes walking in with a message from Oh, by the way, I don't care if you showered this morning and combed your hair and, and, and purried up your face. 
Oftentimes when it comes to the world, when we come sharing the message, they just look at us as a stinky, smelly, you know, ugly looking thing that's come with a message. I don't care how they see me. I just want them to hear God. You see, no, most uh, Jonah didn't care how they see me. As a matter of fact, God said to him, Jonah, don't talk about your whale experience. Don't talk about why you're all dirty. You just tell them what I told you. Listen, folks. The greatest testimony that we have is not what we did, but what he did. That's a testimony. What God did for us. So how do we get a fruitful season? Look at verses 4 and 5. And he goes on to say, And Jonah began to enter into the city that day's journey, and he cried and said, Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And so the people of Nineveh believed God, and they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth, and the greatest of them, even the least of them. The second time of the Lord suggests a faithful season. Fruitful season. The word overthrow literally means to turn upside down. The tense of the verb indicates the thoroughness of the task in which God is going to do. So this would be a complete destruction or overturning of the city's foundation walls and gates. Have you ever seen God do that before in the city? Yeah. I mean, read the Old Testament. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Huh? Remember that? God destroyed them. Remember the city of Jericho? How God tore down the city walls? Just crumbled them so the people could come in and turn the city upside down. When God does something, he does it completely. He told them that if you don't repent, if you don't respond, I'm not just going to come in dissatisfied. I'm not going to come in uh, uh, saddened by. But listen, my friends, he's going to come in and he's going to totally destroy. It's the same word used when he talked about his destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. From a human perspective and rationale, the enterprise appears ridiculous. How can one man claiming to be God's prophet, confront thousands of people with an offensive message. Did you hear the message? Let me just give it to you again. Yet 40 days, and never shall be overthrown. With an offensive message. You know what the message today is that is offensive to the world? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. The world's offended by that. They're offended because it says that I can't do it my way. They're offended because it says that I can't take some of my things. They're offended because Jesus said, I am. He is the most exclusive person 
but yet he is the most inclusive person. Because he said once we receive him, he said anybody that believes can receive. The offensiveness of the message is that of the fact that Jesus is calling upon us to respond. Now, I want you to think about that. One man speaking to 600,000 people, how does anybody ever expect him to accomplish the task? Now, he didn't have the internet. He didn't have social media. He simply didn't even have a megaphone. He simply just had to find a high ridge and just let it be heard. Can you imagine what Jonah might have done? as he walked up the hill towards the city gate of this massive city. Jonah being one man, but a man sent by God with a message from God. He was now prepared to move. Church, to this day, centuries later, there is still God's method of bringing about reformation Revival and an awakening in any land. He's not changed the way or the message. The message is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The method is for a person, a teacher, a Bible study leader, a disciple, a mentor, a pastor, a, a, a missionary, Take the word of God to those who need to hear it. Is it really surprising then that we read in the very next verse, in verse 5, then the people of Nineveh believed in God? Imagine this. They believed in God. By the way, it doesn't say they believed in Jonah. Oh, Jonah, I mean, look at you. You look like you just came through something. Man, you, you must have been messed up, dude. So um, the message that you have must be important. No. What about Jonah? It's about God. Let me just kind of remind you. No preacher stands behind the sacred desk and preaches with the expectation that his words are going to change you. The expectations of the message began this morning at 9.30, right there. Well, actually, earlier this last week when I was preparing. But it, this morning, it began right here. Every Sunday morning at 9.30, a few of us get on our face before God right here. And we ask God to take that word speak to those hearts so that his message will be heard and received. It is not my word. It wasn't Jonah's word. It was God's word. And God promises that before his word goes out, his Holy Spirit goes before it and does the work. Before you ever entered this room today, and you may not have known it, 
You may not even have felt it, but the Holy Spirit of God was speaking to you and preparing you for what you were going to hear today. Listen, my friends, why did 600,000 people from the king down to the sweet street sweeper put on sackcloth and ashes? Because the Holy Spirit of God had went before them and convicted them, and when they heard the word of God, they fell under conviction. And they responded. It is the word of God used by the Spirit of God that brings people to the place of God. People of Nineveh may not have been swept away by Jonah's appearance, or by his punctuality, or by his vocabulary, but they were moved by the word of God. Martin Luther, the reformer, was once asked about his incredible contributions to the Reformation when the church itself and millions of lives were changed. And here's how he responded. I simply taught the word of God and the Word of God did everything else. The message that we need to tell the world, if we want a fruitful season, is the Word of God. The beginning of this great awakening is now underway. A man who was given a second chance to fulfill his calling has received a faithful summons and the word of God will do everything else for him. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God, not Jonah, brought forth a fruitful season. So let me just close. As I think of the moment when the Lord was in the Garden of Gethsemane that faithful night before he went to the cross, I'm reminded of what the scripture says, that he told Peter, James, and John to wait here and pray. Pray for an hour, he said. And as he left it, he went away. And he found that solemn place and he began to cry. After a time of praying and seeking the face of God, he got up and he went back to the disciples to which the scripture says he found them asleep. After challenging them that God was about to do something great and Satan was about to do a mighty work and they needed the power of prayer, the scripture says something. Something so powerful that perhaps maybe you've never caught it before. But because it is the God of second chances, second times, the scripture says that he went away the second time to pray. And because he went away the second time to pray, the prayer that he prayed that night, that faithful prayer, 
that said, Father, not my will be done, but mine. Committing himself to the cross for you and me. I'm thankful that he went the second time. that when I didn't do what he asked me to do, he asked me to do. I'm thankful when I tried to do what he wanted me to do and I failed, he asked me again. I'm thankful that he never has said yet. You've blown it too many times. Go sit on the sidelines. But every year, he reminds me, I called you into this ministry. And I'm telling you, this is what I want you to do. What is it that God is telling you? Called you to do time in and time again. This is the day that we can say, Yes, Lord, here am I. Your servant. Alright, you got a song? is always greater than my sin. 
maybe like Jonah, we need to hear that word from you today, Lord. Teach Sunday school. Teach children. Serve in this area. Serve in that area. Share the Be like Jonah.